G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. For a lot of people in their mind, if you're Jewish and you become a Christian, then you lose your Jewish identity. And that's certainly something that I grew up with. And sometimes people say to me, Lawrence, you are a converted Jew, aren't you? And I say, no, I'm a converted sinner that just happens to be Jewish. I never repented of being Jewish because that's not a sin. And so I am still Jewish. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch. As we heard last time, Lawrence grew up in a Jewish family in South Africa, and Louise grew up in a nominal Christian family. Eventually, Lawrence's family emigrated to Australia, where his brother shared with him that he had put his faith in Jesus. Remarkably, Lawrence in Australia and Louise back in South Africa both put their faith in Jesus simultaneously. Now, we're going to hear what happened next in their lives as they continue their chat with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome back to the program, Lawrence and Louise Hirsch. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having us back. Glad to have you guys back. And that was very exciting. I mean, the Lord was working in both of your lives exactly at the same time becoming Christians. Absolutely. Uh, It is a miracle. And we uh, were amazed at that because I called Louise and said, I've just become a believer in Jesus, and she said, so have I. And we worked it out that at the same night we both became believers. And so I'd actually like to qualify. I know you said you both became Christians, and that is true. We both became followers of Jesus. But for me as a Jewish person, I I think I always like to emphasize that I haven't stopped being Jewish. Mm -hmm. Because for a lot of people in their mind, if you're Jewish and you become a Christian, then you then uh, lose your Jewish identity. And that's certainly something that I grew up with and understanding as a Jewish person, that if you become a Christian, you're no longer Jewish. And sometimes people say to me, Lawrence, you are a converted Jew, aren't you? And I say, no, I'm a converted sinner Mm. that just happens to be Jewish. I never repented of being Jewish because that's not a sin. And so I am still Jewish. So we do, as believers in Jesus, coming from a Jewish background, we want to emphasize the continuity that we have with our Jewish identity and heritage. So we use terms like Messianic Jews or Jewish believer in Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name. And especially as an ongoing witness to our Jewish family and friends and our community, we want to express to them that we haven't given up our Jewish identity, which Mm. was a big thing for for us as a family, too, because, in fact, the very first thing that my mother said when she found out... Yeah, I was wondering, how did your parents react based on what happened last time when your brother brought exactly. home that Bible? My parents were very upset with my brother, and so when I became a believer in Jesus, they were doubly upset with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because they blamed him. They blamed oh, okay. him for influencing me. But I remember the words that my mother spoke, and my mother's passed away now, and a beautiful person that she was. She said to me when she found out that I was a believer, she said, why have you rejected us? Mm. Why have you rejected us? And that was very painful because we were a very close family. And I tried to explain to her 
that I hadn't rejected them as parents. I hadn't rejected my Jewish identity and the Jewish people. I'd accepted Jesus, Yeshua, as my Messiah. And so that added to my Jewish identity, not taken away from it. And that was hard for my parents to understand. Mm. It took, in fact, 20 years for them to come to understand that. My mother finally just four months before she passed away, prayed to accept Yeshua as her Messiah too. Oh, wow. And that was an awesome time. She was very ill, but I'm so grateful that I know that she had prayed a version of the sinner's prayer that I had actually written out for her. With my father, I'm not quite sure how Mm. he was with his faith at the end. But certainly they had come to understand that we hadn't given up our Jewish identity mm-hmm. but had embraced it even more because, of course, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Mm-hmm. What could be more Jewish than believing in him? And we demonstrated that in our lifestyle. And so in our lives and ministry, right from the beginning, we understood the the importance of continuing as a Jewish believer in Yeshua and uh, even in our marriage we uh, made sure that we incorporated our Jewish heritage mm-hmm. into our wedding ceremony. Okay, let's talk about that. So when we left off, both of you had put your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, but still you were in South Africa and right. Lawrence, you were here in Australia. So what happened? So I finished school and it was during this time that we were apart that we actually really had a wonderful time of getting to know the Lord and um, we realized just what an incredible thing he had done in our hearts and in our lives, bringing salvation to us in the same day. And after I finished school, I came to Australia and I stayed with Lawrence's family for six months. During this time, we got engaged. Then I went home and prepared our wedding. And when we got married, I couldn't convert, obviously, because when you when you convert, you have to renounce your faith in anything foreign to the Jewish faith and Believing in Jesus is foreign to the Jewish people. So you actually have to renounce Jesus if you want to become Jewish. And I couldn't do that because I had come to faith in him. Mm-hmm. So what I did instead was the, in the book of Ruth, you hear about Ruth, who was a Moabite. She joined herself to the Jewish people. She married Boaz, and she actually became the great-grandmother of King David. So... Under the chuppah, under the canopy, which is a covering that Jewish people get married under, um, we stood under the chuppah together, and I said the, the vows of Ruth to Lawrence. I said to Lawrence, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And these are my vows to him, and the last part of the vows is quite powerful. It says, and may God deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separate us. Mm -hmm. So I said these powerful vows to Lawrence, and that was actually my conversion in my heart before the Lord, to God, to love the God of Israel, to say to Lawrence, your people will be my people. And in doing that, it was sort of a beautiful picture of Jew and Gentile Mm -hmm. becoming one in Messiah. So I, I have to admit I am a little confused here. Thou, you both put your faith in Jesus but yet, as you shared, Lawrence, you never stop being Jewish because Jewishness is part of an ethnicity and you can't stop being your ethnic background. But so you were converting to his ethnic side of Jewishness, but not the theological side of Jewishness? Help me out here. Well, I think that uh, really Louise was making a verbal commitment to 
love the God of Israel, love the Messiah of Israel, and love the people of Israel. In her vows to me, you know, as we, uh, Jew and Gentile, came together in the Messiah, Louise wasn't really converting to Judaism by doing that in any official way at all, but expressing her desire to bring our kids up, for instance, in a understanding that they are Jews who believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. And uh, also Louise became a lifelong partner with me in ministry to Jewish people from that time on. And uh, she has shown incredible commitment to not only our own family, to my own mom and dad, who mm. she really loved and served. In fact, my, my wife was an incredible Ruth to my mom when my mother was very ill in hospital for, for months with uh, ovarian cancer. Louise mm. stayed by her side and loved her and served her so amazingly to the point that my mom said at one time, you're no longer my daughter-in-law, you're my daughter. Wow. And wow. same kind of story with Ruth and Naomi, I think. Mm, but yeah. certainly, spiritually speaking, Louise was committing herself to serve with me. And this is how we've raised our kids and our ministry that we started from that time on to Jewish people has always been with us together. In so ministry. how did you all of a sudden go from being a believer in Jesus to all of a sudden saying, yes, I'm not going to just be a believer. I'm going to be in ministry. Well, um, when we first started, uh, I started working in Australia. I was a beauty therapist, and all my clients, I was working right in Doncaster behind the um, Jewish synagogue, Mm. and all my clients were a lot of South African Jewish women, and almost every single day I was asked, so because your surname is Jewish, are you Jewish? And I'd say, no, I'm not. And they would say, well, why haven't you converted? It's like almost an offense that I Mm. hadn't converted. And that forced me to say who I was and that I, I believed in Jesus as a Messiah. And so we, when we were asked, where do you go to church? Where do you, where's your congregation? Or yeah, do you go to synagogue? Yeah, I was going to ask you that question as well. Where do you, where, no, where do you go? Mm, yeah. And um, at that time, we were actually fellowshipping at um, Richmond Assemblies of God. And one of the Jewish ladies I was working with, she said to me, could I please come with you? So I took her to a congregation, a meeting. And um, it was very, very uncomfortable for her. Mm. It felt very foreign for her. And she didn't enjoy it at all. She said, this is just something I just can't get used to. And it was at that time that the Lord really put it in our hearts that we needed a congregation that was culturally relevant and sensitive to the needs of Jewish people. And for those who were seeking to understand about the Messiah, about Jesus, we needed somewhere like, you know, Chinese people have a Chinese church, mm. which is culturally relevant to them. And so that's what we felt the Lord prompting to our hearts, to have a messianic fellowship or congregation. And so this burden was in our hearts, and um, we were recruited to come and work with an organization. We actually were asked to come on a campaign in New York, but on our way there we stopped in Israel we worked in Israel for three months, and then we went and handed our tracks on the streets of New York for six um, weeks. Now, this was with other believers in Jesus, or um, Jewish yes. messianic believers, I guess you could yes, say. Yes, it was. Yep. Organizations and other people mm-hmm. who, who were doing the same work that we that was in our hearts to do. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch, who've been sharing how God worked in their lives to lead them to doing ministry work among Jewish people. We'll hear more of their story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Eric Scadabo chatting with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch, who've been sharing about how God led them to ministry work among Jewish people. We'll hear more about that and about how the new chapter in their lives begins at the birth of their second child, Sarah. Since we first came to faith, it was always in our hearts to work amongst Jewish people because of the objections and struggles that I know I had in trying to understand Jesus coming from a Jewish background. So we just naturally felt this is something we're going to give our lives to. Because last time you had shared that you went to an AOG-type meeting and it just felt so weird to you. So you imagine that other people were kind of feeling that way. Yes, and uh, it it wasn't that um, there was something wrong with the services. It was just not culturally sensitive to Jewish Mm -hmm. people. So we're very grateful for our early discipleship in those churches and continue to have wonderful relations with the churches in general. But uh, we knew we needed to set up something that was really going to speak to the heart of the Jewish people. And so we did take up an opportunity uh, when we were newly married to go and do ministry uh, overseas. We actually took up uh, a six-month period where we traveled around Europe and worked uh, amongst Jewish ministries in Israel. And also we landed up in the U.S. working with a ministry there in training in Jewish evangelism uh, for a short-term period. But it really uh, solidified in our hearts a desire to continue to serve the rest of our lives. So after that period in uh, New York City, we were then asked to go back to South Africa, of all places, to Johannesburg, hmm. to go and serve the Lord there, which we did do. And we landed up being back in South Africa for five years. Oh, wow. I went to Bible college and trained theologically at that time, as well as worked as a missionary on the streets. Uh, we had our uh, youngest child still with us, uh, our firstborn son, with us in South Africa. And Louise was looking after him and being involved in ministry. And it was in South Africa, too, that our second child, Sarah, was born. And that begins a whole new chapter in your lives. It does. Um, Actually, Asher was born in Australia, our firstborn. Mm -hmm. And when he was six months old, we went to live in South Africa. We just knew it was only going to be a five-year period. And I always say to God, there's one place in this world I will never live, and that's Johannesburg. So when we left South Africa, I was relieved because it was very difficult growing up in apartheid and mm, all the difficulties yeah. of South Africa. So when we went back, it was actually, um, I just knew it was God. Because when you say to God, I never want to do something, and he sends you somewhere, <laughs> you know it's him. Yeah. And it was in, during this time in South Africa, it was an, actually a very exciting time. It was the time when Mandela was released from prison. Mm-hmm. It was time when people of color were allowed to vote. And it was amazing to be there at that time. Anyway, we're talking about Sarah. So what happened was our second child, Sarah, was born in South Africa um, while Lawrence was at Bible College. 
And when I was pregnant, I had a wonderful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And the day before she was born, I just had a feeling. I thought, I felt there was something wrong with my baby. And I mentioned this to another beautiful um, Jewish woman. And she said to me, no, don't worry about your baby. You can have a beautiful baby. And the next day, Sarah was born. Um, I had a difficult birth. And so when she was born, um, we were so excited. We had a little girl. We named her Sarah. And Lawrence went home to rest. And Sarah was immediately taken away from us at that time. And I waited four hours for them to actually bring her back to me. And I kept asking, where's my baby? Mm. Where's my baby? And the pediatrician said to me, oh, we're just doing some tests. She's fine. She had a difficult birth. And um, right at the time that Lawrence came back from home, the pediatrician walked in and he had tears in his eyes. And he said to me, I'm so sorry. I have to tell you that your daughter was born with a condition called hydranencephaly. And I said, what is that? And he said to me, it's a condition where a cerebral spinal fluid had filled her brain cavity during the time um, of gestation in my womb. Um, I must have been about 16 weeks pregnant when cerebral spinal fluid filled up into her brain cavity and blocked the fluid going into her brain and pushed her brain to the outer edges of her skull leaving only a tiny room of brain. Mm. So he said to me, I'm so sorry, your daughter won't um, survive more than four days. Well, the surgeon walked in straight after that, holding Sarah's MRI, and he showed us how severely brain damaged Sarah was. And he was quite a cold um, persona. And he said to us, don't take her home. Don't bond with her. In fact, don't feed her. Don't breastfeed her. And you should just leave her and walk away. Because she's going to be a vegetable and it's no use you even taking her home. And we were so distraught because, I mean, we'd never even heard of this condition. Hydranencephaly, we've heard of hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain. But hydranencephaly is so rare. Mm. And and we could have easily listened to the surgeon and walked away. But we, we said, no, of course not. He's our baby. But we're going to take her home, and if she's going to die, let her die at home with us. So we took Sarah home, and those first few days were so difficult. Mm. Sarah cried all the time. In fact, going back a little bit, when I was in the hospital, I had walked up to the uh, neonatal ward where they'd put Sarah, and they hadn't bathed her, or she was just lying by herself in a Mm. cot. And it was late at night, because I'd gone to look for her, because they hadn't brought her back to me. And... I took her out of the cot and I held her in my arms and I wept. I cried so, mm. so deeply to God. And a nurse walked in and she said to me, don't listen to the doctors. She said, if you want to breastfeed your baby, please just come. Let's go sit down. You can breastfeed your baby. Just do everything you need to do as a mother. Mm. And I was so grateful for her mm. because she helped me bath Sarah. Mm. And then next morning we took her home. And Sarah, one day I remember Sarah hadn't fed for 11 hours. And I just remember hitting the wall so hard, and I prayed a prayer to the Lord. I said, God, you've given us this child, and I will look after her her whole life as long as you let her eat and drink. And the Lord was so gracious to me because I was able to breastfeed Sarah. Mm-hmm. And I felt looking after her where there was life, there was hope, and I was praying that she would live. And on the other hand, for the first time in our married life, we were both praying two conflicting prayers. Lawrence was praying, Lord, please take her home. Mm. 
Mm. And I'll let you, Lawrence, share about how he was feeling. Yes, of course, we're totally shell-shocked when Sarah was born. Mm-hmm. We yeah. had thought we'd have a normal baby and uh, the usual expectations um, that come with that, and we're excited. And then to discover that she not just has brain damage, but her brain didn't develop and that she wouldn't live, it was a total shock to us. And um, I was thinking in the future, what does this mean to us? How is this practically going to affect us? And I was thinking, well, Lord, it's okay if Sarah dies and goes to be with you. In fact, I was praying that God would take her. Mm. Louise was praying that God would keep her and where there's life, there's hope, and maybe she can get healed and um, and we can you know, have a normal baby in our arms again. And so it was very difficult. And uh, mm-hmm. after about two or three months of the most difficult time with Sarah having continuous convulsions, uh, being at the point of death a number of times, uh, there was a time when Sarah just turned to me and she is clinically blind. However, she's very aware of people around her and she began to smile at me. And that totally melted my heart and I realized how selfish I'd been to pray that God would take her away because I was scared of how it it would affect our families. I was scared of suffering. I was scared of, of the trauma of having a disabled child. And yet she really is a beautiful human being that God had given us for a plan and a purpose. And I, and I really repented of my attitude. And uh, we really have seen how God has used Sarah in our lives in such remarkable ways to mold us and to also challenge our faith. At that time, it was very shallow. Mm. We had expected that as working as missionaries in South Africa, God would just simply always look after us. All we needed to do is quote Psalm 91 and it will all be fine with us. And yet this happened to us while we're serving God in South Africa. And so it was very difficult, and especially because people would come along to us and say, well, this happened to you because you have some unconfessed sin in your life. This happened to you because of some kind of uh, generational curse. All this happened to you because you didn't have enough faith. If only you would have enough faith, God would heal her. You know how painful that was for us at that yeah. time to struggle through those those issues. But we began to see how God was using Sarah in our lives to change us and to deepen us. And also God used Sarah in amazing ways to save other people. We've had many carers that have come to faith through Sarah. But also it was an amazing story that happened back in South Africa when uh, Sarah was about one years old. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to stop it right there because we've run out of time in this second part of our conversation with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch. So we invite you to join us again next time for the conclusion of this conversation and for the story Lawrence was alluding to about the time Sarah was one year old and God used her life in a remarkable way. All that and more is coming up next time. Meanwhile, if you're interested to learn more about Messianic Jews and the ministry to Jewish people that Lawrence and Louise started, it's called Celebrate Messiah, and their website is celebratemessiah.com.au. That's celebratemessiah.com.au. Well, until next time, when we'll hear more of Lawrence and Louise's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We do ministry in the far east of Russia. And so I got up and I talked about our life with Sarah. And it was interpreted in Russian. And when I'd finished, 
I had all these beautiful Russian ladies just run at me into my arms and hug me and they were weeping and crying. And because of Sarah, it showed them that we might look on the outside as if we've got it all together. But really, we are as human as they are and we also have troubles and problems in our lives. Lawrence and Louise Hirsch's daughter Sarah was born with severe brain damage and this has completely changed their lives. Also, it has helped them in their ministry to Jewish people in unexpected ways. We'll hear more of Lawrence and Louise's story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.